When I usually preach from the Gospel of Luke, I usually talk about the narrative, like what happened in that story. Today, I want to focus more on a topic that the narrative brought up, namely, what does the Bible say about what happens to us after we die, and how does that answer affect the way we live today? So far in this story, Jesus was executed on the cross, and all his disciples thought that that was the end of the story, although his disciples were receiving report after report, saying that they saw Jesus here, they saw Jesus there, and that's where today's passage begins. Verse 36, while they, the disciples, were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now before we move on, I want to make a quick observation. Now, while the Gospel of Luke is written in Koine Greek, the characters in this story were speaking an ancient dialect of Hebrew. So when Jesus said, peace be with you, the word peace is the word shalom, and the word peace in the Hebrew culture doesn't mean peace like we understand peace. You see, you and I, we understand peace as like there's no more war, there's no more conflict, no one's fighting anymore. But in the Hebrew mind, peace meant everything as it should be. So let me just recap everything so we're all on the same page. First, Jesus dies, and then there's rumors about him being alive. Then Jesus shows up in the middle of the disciples' staff meeting, and then he declares that everything is as it should be. All right, so we're clear? Okay, so let's move on. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So today, I want to talk to you about something that you think you already know, because it's a widely held view and belief in the American church, but it's not completely biblical. You see, some of us believe that the goal that God has for us is to eventually die, then our bodies will decay while our spirits goes into the heavens, and that we'll dwell with God forever. Now, there is some truth to that claim, but it's not the whole story. If we leave it just at that, then it is definitely not biblical. And and I'll take it one step further, because some of us believe that the spirit inside of us is good and that our body is bad. You see, that's also not biblical. The general belief in American churches is that we have bodies that are like holding us back, like our true selves is a spirit and that we are trapped inside this prison called the human body. And once we die, we'll fully be who God created us to be. I mean, after all, heaven can only house spirits, right? So that means our bodies are disposable. Our bodies do not belong with the spirit. So you might be thinking, well, Kotz, if these things aren't biblical, where do we get these ideas from? Well, about 500 years before Jesus walked this earth, Greek philosophers like Plato, he promoted a teaching called dualism. Basically, it means that the spirit is good and the body is bad. Anything that you can't see is good, and anything that is matter is bad. This teaching spread throughout the known world and was assumed even amongst Jews in the first century. But the Jews also knew that it wasn't part of their original teachings. So what does the Bible teach about this? Well, we got to go all the way back to, yeah, you guessed it, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it teaches that God took something physical like dirt, and he breathed into it, which was spirit, and then created humanity. Humanity is a combination of something physical and something spiritual. Then God declared that the combination of these two things together was very good. The way this is described in the book of Genesis even indicates that this combination of physical and spiritual is epitome, is the height of God's creation. So do you think God changed his mind? 
like over a course of a few thousand years, he said, you know what? The combination thing that was overrated. All I want is a spirit. No, God always intended humanity's best form to be both spirit and matter put together. Also, it's important to note where Adam and Eve lived, the Garden of Eden, was a combination of heaven and earth, God's realm and our realm. They overlapped in Genesis chapter one and two. So remember that because we're gonna come back to that idea later. All right, back to the Jesus story. See, when the Jesus movement started in the first century, dualism needed to be weeded out of the followers because it was a false teaching. So the biographers of Jesus, they left huge hints in their writings to make it crystal clear that our goal is not a disembodied afterlife. In the very next section that we're about to read in the book of Luke, you'll see a very clear example of this. Verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself, that's translation for, it's the real me. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. You see, you could totally see that Luke is intentionally giving us details to make this point even more clear. Let's move on. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. You see, back then, people who believed in dualism also believed that ghosts, like spirits, they don't eat, they don't need to eat because food is there to fuel the physical body and ghosts and spirits don't have a physical body. So it's ludicrous to think that a ghost would eat. So Jesus decides to demonstrate that he is really a physical body by eating right in front of the disciples. So Luke here is throwing every proof that he can think of to convince the readers that Jesus is not a ghost, but an actual physical body because the goal of humanity is not to become a ghost. You see, God cares about your body. God cares about matter. The Bible is filled with verses about God rejoicing in things that we can only do if we have bodies like dancing, or just being physically present. In Genesis chapter two, God rejoices in the fact that we are working and the word work in the Hebrew also could be translated as worship. So I wanna take a few minutes to share with you the biblical view of what happens when we die. So let me start off by saying that as far as your life journey goes, the Bible describes three different phases. First, we have your life on earth. If you're listening to this sermon right now, then this is the phase you're in right now. You are both spirit and body. But the problem is that your body is not perfect. Your body is falling apart. It breaks, it's decaying, it smells. Which leads us to the second phase. This phase I'm gonna call life after death. This is when your body fails and you are now spirit only. So now your body is either cremated or buried and now your spirit is separated from your body. Now in the final phase, in a undisclosed future moment, we don't know when it is, your body is gonna be reunited with your spirit. And this time your body is indestructible. It is a new and perfect body. And so when Jesus enters that room in the story we just read, he was in that phase. So to make things easier, we'll just call this phase A, phase B, and phase C. The Bible has a lot to say about phase A. I mean, most of everything Jesus taught was about how we ought to live our lives today. And then after we die, we move to phase B. And as far as I know, well, there aren't that many verses that talk about phase B. And then when it comes to phase C, there are many, many verses written about this. Now, from what I hear from a lot of Christians is that they believe that our goal in life is to live through phase A well. And if we die, we end up in phase B and we spend eternity there. 
that is not biblical. As a matter of fact, if we go according to what Genesis described as God's definition of good, this phase is not good. And then when it comes to phase C, did you know the Apostle Paul dedicated an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 about that very phase right there? He argues that what Jesus did three days after his execution, we call it the resurrection, it's a demonstration of what will happen to us. Yeah, sure, we won't resurrect three days after we die, but one day, undisclosed time in the future, God will raise every one of his children from the grave and give us brand new bodies. And by definition, that is very good. Now let's talk about phase B again, because there's several theories out there, none of them could be proven, of what happens to us between the time that we die and the time that we get our resurrected bodies. And the reason why these are just called theories is because the Bible doesn't seem to be that interested in telling us more about that part of our life journey. Like major characters and authors of the Bible, like Jesus and Paul, they seem to be more interested in talking about C or what I like to call life after life after death. One of the things written about life after life after death is found in the last two chapters of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now remember how heaven and earth were separated in the beginning of the Bible? Well, the author in the climax of his story tells a story about a marriage between heaven and earth. What was once one realm was separated because of humanity's rebellion against God. And then now heaven is coming down to earth to become one again. In other words, this earth will once again be spiritual and physical. And this happens around the same time when we are reunited with our bodies. You see, we become beings that feel right at home in this new world. This age to come is, is a time where according to the prophets of the Old Testament, they describe it as this. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and their yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water cover the sea. The prophet here is using all these imageries talking about how every part of creation will fit together and get along with each other in harmony. In the book of Revelation, this is how it's depicted. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. By the way, he's not saying there's no more water in the future. In the biblical days, great bodies of water was considered to be the great unknown and it was chaotic. And so he's basically using water as a symbol to say there's no more chaos in the future. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I mean like, wow, right? Can you even imagine what that would be like? Now, Paul the Apostle, he kind of adds more commentary to this, this worldview. He basically says like, don't you get really excited about this, this future that we're headed towards? Well, guess what? You're not the only ones that's, that's excited about this. Romans chapter eight, this is what he says. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration and hope that the creation itself 
will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Basically, Paul is saying that we will eventually be given new bodies, but that's not all. All of creation will be given new matter. And so all of God's creation is waiting in anticipation for the age to come. In other words, to God, matter matters. But for you, maybe the bigger question is, well, why should this matter? I mean, why does this matter to me? I mean, does it change anything? Does it change the way I live my life today? Whether if I should be putting my hope in life after life after death or just life after death? Well, according to the Bible, it does matter. See, because Christians are people who live in A, but is actively trying to spill some of C into this world. You see, getting the right view of the relationship between spiritual and physical is important because God wants us to start acting like the age to come is already here. That's what Christians are. We are the people who believe that God is already spilling in a little bit of heaven into our present reality today. God wants us to live in the fullness of heaven, but he doesn't want us to wait for that unspecified day in the future to start living it. So the bottom line is this, when God created this world, he said it was good. When he created us, he said it was very good. So if you believe in the popular view of what happens to us after we die, you're basically saying, when we die, I'm gonna abandon the good body that God has given us, and I'm gonna abandon the good earth that God has given us. And that mentality is not good by God's definition. You see, the ideal world that we're thinking of when we think about heaven is actually the earth perfected with God dwelling with us. We need to realize that, that we can live out small pieces of this perfected earth by following after Jesus' teaching in life today. You see, Jesus, he represents the idealized humanity. And when we follow in his footsteps, we usher in a little bit of that future age of heaven right here on earth. So church, may God's plan of a future filled with shalom offer you hope today so we can start living out God's ideals in our communities. And may you believe that salvation is not the escape from matter, but it is the redemption of matter. And may you experience heaven together right here, right now. God bless.